0: All right, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 4, please, verse 15 to 20. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 through 20, and the message is entitled, Ministry and Finances, and this is part 2. We look at part 1 last time. As Paul comes to the end of his letter, he has laid out his heart regarding finances. And we saw that it was characterized by three things in verse 10 through 14. The appreciation of Paul for the finances. Secondly, and that was in verse 10. Secondly, the perception of Paul about his finances in 11 and 12. And the commendation of Paul for the finances in 13 through 14. Paul was very open, very transparent, and he was... Um, A man who wanted people to understand that he loved God more than he loved money and that he was serving God because God had saved them and not because he had saved them to become wealthy. What a rebuke to so many of the day and history who have taken the gospel into themselves to enhance themselves in spite of what is taught in Scripture. And I fault many of this to the people of God. Because they should be the first ones not to be giving to ministries like that. They really are not ministries at all. But their ministries are just merchandise, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should know if God's working in a church. You should examine. you should be involved in that ministry. You should know the history of that ministry. You should see what God has done, where did they come, how did they begin. Very important. Now, as Paul continues to speak on finances, he reminds the Philippians about three more things here in verses 15 through 20. Let me read here. He says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving or receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent Aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I speak or seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Jesus by Christ Jesus now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever amen Paul declares the three following things regarding these finances first the commitment to Paul by the Philippians verses 15 through 16 he points this out secondly the motive of Paul for the Philippians in verses 17 and 18. And thirdly, the faithfulness of God towards the Philippians in verses 19 through 20. He lays it out as he's closing this letter. Let's begin with the commitment to Paul by the Philippians. Look at verses 15 and 16. In 15, the Apostle Paul recalled to the Philippians their involvement from the day he departed from Macedonia. Paul um, indicated, notice, their common knowledge. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia. He literally says, you know as well as I. You do that as a parent to your child. What do you mean what I mean? You were there. You resort back to a common knowledge. He took them back 10 years as um, he came to Philippi after the Holy Spirit had hindered him from preaching in Galatia and Bithynia. Bring them over to Troas where Paul received the vision from a man of Macedonia. Come over and help us. In Acts 16. Around verse 10 or so. In... He recognized that God was calling him and directing him. But notice how God guided Paul and Silas by closing doors, by saying no. God has certain areas in mind for certain times and others not. And sometimes he will use all these things to guide us. He had come to Philippi. And after several days, as you know, on the Sabbath, he went to the riverside where Lydia and other women were praying because there weren't enough men to have a synagogue. Um, you required by law, by Jewish law, ten men. So there weren't ten Jews, men, to have a synagogue there. So the women were praying at the riverside. Acts 16, 11 through 15. He not only saw Lydia come to the Lord, as you remember, But um, a slave girl that was demon-possessed and was being used by some guys to enrich themselves through um, uh, soothsaying or declaring the future, fortune-telling. And um, this was the beginning of the church, as God directed. Paul identified their common partnership when he says, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me. Concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And so, again, he's pointing and reminding them of the common knowledge they both had. Those in the church and he himself at this point. Ten years later. Some of you that are still here from the beginning, I said, You remember how the Lord started the Bible study at George Gutierrez's house on Hidalgo Street with just three people. And then from there, we stepped out and started a Sunday morning service at the YMCA on Main Street. And we would be both agreeing on something that we had witnessed together, though it has been 37 years or so. The Philippians were the only ones who became financial partners with Paul in the gospel at that time. Either before or at his departure they had shared in giving and receiving. Notice that. He was not charging the other churches for not giving to him, merely stating the fact about the Philippian church. Okay? So sometimes people draw and they read into the text what's not there. He's simply in dealing with the Philippian church. Though not uh, many other churches did give to Paul, but that's not the point here. The word shared means to be a partner, to distribute, or to be one. Koinonia, we get our word fellowship, koinonia, partnership, oneness, participation. It's a very rich word. It's used to distribute the needs to the saints in Romans twelve thirteen. It's used for imparting physical needs to one who teaches in Galatians 6.6. 6. It is used of partaking of Christ's sufferings in 1 Peter 4.13. The phrase giving and receiving is an interesting term. It's a commercial term for credits and debits. They had made a deposit with him and he acknowledged the receipt of it. He's using commercial terms here that were used of that day. Notice in verse 16, the Apostle Paul recalled to the Philippians also their involvement after he arrived at Thessalonica. He says, for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. The commitment of the Philippians was not emotional, but decisive. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once. So, they had thought it through, they had committed themselves, and they followed through it. Remember, Paul passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia arriving to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews in Acts 17.1. They reasoned from the scriptures explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and be risen again from the dead and that Jesus that they preached was Christ. A few Proselytes and women believed. It says in Acts seventeen two through four. The commitment of the Philippians was not mere duty, but one of love. Listen to his words and again, for my necessities, two times. They were committed in a loving way. It wasn't a duty, an obligation. Paul is not chiding them here. He is expressing his gratefulness and his appreciation. Yet they were an infant church. And not a wealthy church, if you remember Thessalonica, that whole region, because of the wars and armies. They were very poor. The unbelieving Jews gathered some evil men, as Paul was there, in um, from the marketplace, and they attacked Jason's house, accusing Paul and Silas and Timothy of turning the world upside down, acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there was another king, Jesus, in Acts seventeen five through seven. Everywhere Paul went, there was always a division. There was always an uproar. Because the gospel divides. Jesus said, I didn't, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to put father against son, son against father, daughter, mother, mother, daughter. Was that his purpose in coming? No, but that's the outcome of his coming. The early converts, the Jews, they were considered as dead when they became Christians. They lost family, everything. Possibly Paul lost his wife, his whole family. We're not sure. Doesn't mention them. But somehow we have been kept from that. But as the culture has become more pagan then it becomes more severe against the Judeo-Christian principle in the United States now. And we start to experience that a little bit more. Now the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night to Berea from Thessalonica, as you know. And they went into the synagogue again, as the manner of Paul was, and they being more fair-minded, then the Thessalonians, they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things are so in Acts seventeen ten through 12. So they escorted Paul to Athens because some of the Jews came from Thessalonica and stirred up. They were going to kill Paul. Silas and Timothy remained at Berea but when they uh, escorted Paul to Athens, Paul says, send them, tell them to catch up with me. And you find that in Acts 17, 13 through 15, then Paul got impatient and he moved on to Corinth and that's where they hooked up in chapter 18. This is all the time that he's speaking about here. They were very familiar with this. But even their love gift was not sufficient to support Paul. But he never stated that fact. He didn't say, you stingy guys, I can't believe after all I've done for you. He never did that. He expresses gratitude always. In fact, Paul reminded the Thessalonians how he worked. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, it says, He says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be burdened to any of you, We preach to you the gospel of God. Never wanted to be a burden to any of them. Now, you remember, he he was in Thessalonica three weeks. Only three weeks. Paul uses an example to reprove those who were lazy, not wanting to work in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 10. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat any man's bread free of charge. But work with labor and toil, that's to the point of exhaustion, the word, night and day, that we might not be burdened to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us, for even when we were with you, we Commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Pretty heavy. The Bible teaches very, very strict work ethic. Absolutely. Paul was a tent maker. Worked with his own hands. Notice Paul had been an example of the believer in giving and receiving. He told the Ephesian elders when, before he left, the following in acts twenty thirty four through thirty five he says, "Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me, I have um, showed you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive." Acts 20, 34 through 35. So Paul was an incredible example to the churches, to those young Christians. He told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians eleven seven through 9, that I commit sin and humbly myself uh, that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was uh, a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia, there they are again, supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. 2 Corinthians 11, 7-9. So Paul reminds them, the only way I humble myself, I never charged you. I didn't. Are you going to fault me for that, for not taking money from you? <laughs> Amazing. We think of the widow with two mites as all the Pharisees and the wealthy people as Jesus and his disciples uh, looked upon the treasury and they were all giving of their abundance and parading themselves as uh, the Sermon on the Mount says not to do. To be seen of men. And um, Jesus looked upon them and says. She has given more than all of them put together. For they have given out of their abundance. But she has given of her livelihood. They kind of scratched their head at first. How, how does that? What do you mean? Hmm. What a joy it has been to see. The faithful commitment of believers in the church financially through the 37 years that this church has existed. Those that have been in the church since the beginning of the church and those who have come after it. 2 Corinthians 8, 12-14 says, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but by inequality, but that now, at this time, your abundance may supply their lack, their, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Those who have had little medium or abundance consistently contempt, committed to the work of God through the years here in this church even as paul in 2 corinthians 9:10 and 11 says now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. How God works through the heart of the people of God as they commit themselves to God and they're part of God's work and God directs, guides, blesses and directs in many different ways. What an example to their children of putting God first and not giving him leftovers. It's something that the natural man and our flesh always does living within our means living within our budget living knowing they won't be able to have all the luxuries as other people decisions we make when we're christians our lifestyle changes doesn't mean that things are wrong in and of themselves is that our life changes radically living with contentment and thankfulness to god and before him, Matthew six thirty one through thirty three, as you know, says, "Therefore do not worry, saying, 'What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear?' For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows." That you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The problem today in the Christian church is Christians are being directed and pointed to those things, just like the world, and not the kingdom of God. The whole basis of kingdom theology through these pastors that are on the radio and quote-unquote Christian television. Kingdom principles, kingdom theology, it's all about you. Nab it and grab it, healthy and wealthy. Wow. What do you think the first century church, how would they have responded to such teaching? (laughs) Paul says, those who teach you that godliness is gain, get away from them. And yet, in spite of that, God is faithful. We'll see in the last point, the third point, that God takes care of us, right? But that's not our goal. That's not what we live for. The commitment to Paul by the Philippians was out of love from the beginning. Notice secondly, verse 17 and 18. The motive of Paul for the Philippians is given here. In 17, Paul the Apostle declared he was not seeking more financial gifts. Paul told him plainly he was not asking for money. Listen to him. Not that I seek the gift. He was blameless before God and man. The word seek means to search for diligently, demand, or crave after. The tense is a continuous present. Paul's motive from the beginning, and even now when he's writing, was not seeking financial help, the gift, or anything else. The word is used of the person who doesn't know God and lives craving after the material things of life that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6.32. The word is used of those who are strangers and pilgrims seeking a heavenly homeland. In Hebrews eleven fourteen. He was not attempting to drop any hints that they might give him a gift. You know there's sometimes people that go around dropping hints about their need. As they happen to strike a conversation up with you in the church. Be careful of that. There's always people like that. People know that Christians are an easy target. And that we want to be sensitive. We want to be compassionate. We want to be wise. The word gifter, doma, means simply a thing given to another. To bestow or to present. The root word Describes God's gift of his son for the world. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes him should not perish but everlasting. That's the root word. For the word gave there. He gave his only begotten son. A gift. When someone gives you a gift. And if they've really spent a good amount of money. You're the first to know you're not worthy of it. They just love you. So they go out of their way to express their love. Notice Paul told them plainly. He was seeking their spiritual return. He says, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He saw their financial giving as fruit, the byproduct of their new life, ever-present in season. As he already said, their care for him had sprouted out and flourished in verse 10. The contrast of what Paul does seek is clearly marked out by the word, but... The word seek again is like the first there in the sentence, in the beginning. To search for diligently, demand or crave after. Again, the tense is continuous present. That means that Paul's motive from the beginning to the present was, listen, they're good. They're benefit, not his. He was seeking them and their benefit all the time. Parents are like that. If they're really parents. What they do, they do for the good of their children. They teach them difficult and hard lessons. So that when they grow up, they are able to stand on their two feet. They have the good of their children in mind. Not their own Something that is natural and alive, producing something of benefit. Notice he sought that the fruit of their giving would abound to their account. The tense, as we said, continues is the same here. Paul's motive from the beginning and even now was not seeking financial help or anything else from them. In fact, the word abound there means um, to exist in abundance in their account. This is a banking and commercial term again. So he uses very specific terms here. It means accumulated interest. The word is used of himself in 18. So his only motive was that God would credit the account of the Philippians in heaven and that the return would be with great interest. Study the Proverbs about finances. The whole of Scripture is amazing. James says that we shouldn't lay out our treasures on earth with a Rust and moth corrupts them, but in heaven. God um, pays great dividends. But sadly, too often, preachers and teachers and people who are in the church manipulate and use that to motivate people to give, and that should never be. They say, if you give one, God will give you ten. That's, that's not scriptural. We understand God will always be faithful. That will be our last point. We can never outgive God. But we don't function with a carnal mind and principle thinking, if I give this, then he's going to do this or has to do this. That is a carnal motivation. It's not out of love. Notice in 18, Paul the Apostle declared he was seeking to communicate their faithfulness. He was an example of this principle of Godly, of God's heavenly ledger. He says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. All his needs had been met and had more than he could desire. Now, Not that he was the wealthiest man in the world. It's just that he had more than he needed. One word. Contentment. Oh, if you can grab a hold of that. (laughs) Greed destroys everybody. More, more, more. The word have It's another commercial term, and it means to have in full. It's used by Jesus in Matthew 5, 2, and 16. The word is used as a receipt for full payment for money or goods. In Papyra, astrakast, clay tablets. That term is used. It is magnified by the word abound to exceed a fixed number and the word full meaning to fill to the top. Paul is going out of his way to add all these descriptive adjectives regarding the giving of the Philippians to him. Paul was telling them how thankful he was for their love gift. Their part was valuable and important. Their part was part of the faithfulness of God to them, we'll see. When God does something through you and I, God's supposed to get the glory. And it's part of God's overall work, completely. Notice he was acknowledging it was due to their gift. I having received from Epaphroditus the things Sent from you. The phrase having received is again a technical word for full payment. He won't let it go. Paul is praising him corporately. From you. He mentions that Papadias was the messenger, the carrier, but from you corporately. The church. And he does this without encouraging them to do more than they had done already. So he's not begging. He's not dropping hints. Without doubt, Epaphroditus arrived with others with the gift to help and now would return, remember, as he had survived a near-death experience of the sickness he was under. And the church was concerned about him. And I'm sure with... The gift that he brought as well as the help, it was a great uh, aid to Paul. Notice he declared the gift was acceptable by God. He uses imagery of the Old Testament, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The description of a sweet-smelling aroma looks to, again to the Old Testament sacrifices. The idea is of acceptance and pleasing to God as the incense and aroma of sacrifice rises up to the God's nostrils. All through the Bible. Genesis 8:21, the sacrifice there. Leviticus 1, 9. And many of the sacrifices that are mentioned there. Smelling an aroma. Put it in your computer. You get all kinds of scriptures. Ephesians 5 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma, God's gift, offering himself a sweet aroma to the Father. The declaration of an acceptable sacrifice speaks of the pure motive of the heart. God sees the heart. You and I see the gift. God sees why the gift is given. Acceptable. Done out of love, faith, and gratitude. Even as Paul, at the end of Romans, theological proposition of the gospel and the power to save, he says... I beseech you by the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you a reasonable service. And be not fashioned to this world system, be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is acceptable and the perfect will of God. A living sacrifice. Hmm. The proclamation of well pleasing to God speaks of his delight and his pleasure. The phrase well pleasing means well agreeable. You're in the same accord. The individuals lined up with God. The same mind, the same will. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased Hebrews 13:16 says Hebrews 6:10 says for God is not unjust to forget your work of and labor of love which you have showed towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister Hebrews 6:10 The principle of sowing and reaping is biblical But it should never be the motive for giving, ever. You know, a farmer sows a lot of seed, he's going to get a lot of crop. And though that is true in a reasonable, logical, and agricultural understanding, again, we always twist it and pervert it because of our greed. God cannot be outgiven, and it's not always financially. The money, it's just one aspect of it. The quality of life, the things that He does, the things that He teaches us, the the way He directs us and guides us, and all those things. If you walk with God for any number of years, you know what I'm talking about. There were always those constantly begging and pleading for money with their gimmicks and offers. To tell you the truth, I hardly ever listen to Christian radio. Certainly don't watch Christian T V, quote quoted. Most of it isn't Christian. They'll use the Bible. But they're preaching another kingdom. It's culturalized. The liberalism in Christianity is full-blown. Sin's not even mentioned. Repentance. It's all about how good you are and how much God loves you, and he doesn't care what you do. He'll accept you anyway. Sin is excluded. Everything else, repentance. And now, you know, you can do everything the world does. You can cuss, you can drink, you can do whatever, you know, because God loves you. Because, you know, Jesus loves people, you know. He He does, He never, you know, just didn't judge. Wow, really? Man, I don't know what Bible you're reading. I read the Bible and a lot of people were always mad at Jesus. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him. Not because he was telling them they had good self-esteem. Hmm. Pastor Chuck believed what God guides, he provides. He taught us just to feed the sheep. My responsibility is to feed you in such a way that I am transparent and that you're listening to the voice of God and that you obey God And that you can depend upon God without looking to me. That's my responsibility. So you can sit anywhere, any place, at any time, in any continent. Open your Bible and when somebody says they're teaching the word of God, you can say, this man is or this man is whacked out. Because you have the mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ. And the word of Christ. And you're a disciple of Christ. And yet, now that he's dead, though Chuck taught us very, very well, very clear by word and deed and example, so many of those who were the closest to him and others now are like those Pastor Chuck used to expose and criticize and judge. Time is the test of all things, ladies and gentlemen. Time. Paul didn't fault others for taking money in the ministry. He believed God would not have him to take money, he makes very clear when he speaks to the Corinthians. He didn't fault others. But he did fault others for begging and merchandising the gospel for their own profit. That is very, very clear. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, uh, Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, very, very clear in those things. As well as Jesus, if you read the gospels. 1st Corinthians 9.18 says, what is my reward then? Paul says, that when I preach the gospel... I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, through eight, he says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hilarious giver is the word. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. The word sufficiency is a stoic word, that you are such a person that you understand the kingdom of God. You are so grateful to God that you know how to live within your means, within your own budget, so that you not only are able to take care of yourself, but you have a little to help others if you need to. Wow. God provides through his people. As well as knowing the heart of those who receive those offerings. And God's not biting his nails, and God deals with people. If he doesn't get you here, he will get you there. It's like the mortician. Yeah. He doesn't get you now, he'll get you later. The pastors and leaders. Have a parental responsibility and accountability to God. Listen to what Paul says in Second um, Corinthians twelve, fourteen, and fifteen. He says now, after the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you the less I be loved. Every parent needs to put that in their heart about their children. And every pastor has to put that in his heart about the people he teaches. Just the way it is. You got to suck it up. (laughs) Your children will one day maybe rise up and call you blessed. But between now and then, they're going to call you many other things just the way it is. The pastors and leaders must never manipulate or merchandise the people of God. Listen to Paul. But be that as it may, I did not burden you, nevertheless, being crafty. I caught you by cunning? Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? No. Second Corinthians 12, 16-17. Because the Corinthians were charging him about being a huckster. He says, really? Because of the false apostles that were there slandering Paul. Wow. The motive of Paul for the Philippians was pure from the beginning. Notice thirdly here in verse 19 and 20. The faithfulness of God towards the Philippians. In 19, uh, the apostle Paul declared God would not fail to supply all their needs. Paul based notice, his confidence on his personal acquaintance and experience with God. My God, God had saved Paul in the Damascus road in Acts 9. God had disciple Paul for three years in Arabia. Galatians chapter 1 tells us very clear. God had delivered Paul from perilous times, even from believing he was going to be killed one time completely and everybody with him in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 through 10. And we can go on and on and on how God was faithful to Paul. And even finances as we've seen already. And this is the context. Paul promised that God would be faithful to them. Shall supply all your needs. The things God knows. Would be necessary in the future. Not their wants. Not their greeds, But their needs. The things for daily life. A job. Housing. Clothes. Food. Stuff like that. Those are the things of life. Not the 15 foot by 20 foot television screen. Not the latest iPhone. You see, we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, just like the world. And that's why Christians are bummed out too. They're not happy because they're living for the world and not the Lord. Nothing wrong with those things, you understand? You know what I'm talking about? Obey and appreciation would be thankful and good stewards and contentment. That's part of our responsibility. Notice Paul indicated God's sovereign measure and manner according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In proportion to the inexhaustible resource of the Father. He lacks nothing. He doesn't need anything. He can create anything. He can do anything what do you tell Jeremiah? Jeremiah, I'm the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too difficult for me? Too hard for me? If you say yes, you get an F. I don't know. Do they have Fs anymore? Or do they just have pass and fail? In proportion, in the way that would honor and bring glory to the Father, the channel is always the Son. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.5. In Him you're complete, in Him dwells the fullness of Godhead bodily, Colossians 2.9 and 10. Ephesians 3.16 3.20, unto Him was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think and many other scriptures. Notice the Apostle Paul declared God alone should always be praised for all provisions. Verse 20. Paul describes the doxology to the praise and glory of the one who provides these resources in the Son. Now to our God and Father be glory. The term God and Father identify the same person. There is one article for both. The first person of the Trinity. The word glory, doxa, means magnificent, excellent, dignity or preeminence. The idea is one of equal weights, glory, doxa. The old balancing scales will give you a good example of that. You put a pound of meat here, it balances out with a pound of weight here. So you put the weight and you put that meat, when you get there, you know it's equal. That whatever God does, it's equal to who He is. Who is He? He's God. Always the highest. Do your works in such a way that when they see your good works, they may glorify your Father in heaven, not you. Here it is, I'm going to give $1,000 in the offering. You guys watch, look. You got your reward. We're to do everything to the glory of God so that God gets the glory in everything. Too much showmanship in the church today. Too many pastors are motivational speakers. They're telling the people how rich they can be and how much God is proud of them and and how how God is there saying, oh, come on, he's rooting for you and you can do it. And like if God is a man, as we are, now he became a man, but he doesn't think and deal with us as that. He brings us to a higher level. The deeds, the things that God does, they're equal to his nature, his character. 2 Corinthians 8, 6-9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Whoa. Rich in Christ and grace, we became sons of God. We were sons of Satan, daughters of Satan. Wow. Paul describes the extent of that doxology of praise and glory to be given to God the Father. Listen, forever and ever. Amen. The phrase forever and ever, Ionios, Ionion, means the ages through the ages. Through the age of grace, through the millennial, through all eternity. The Father gave his Son for the world. The Son makes sinners one with the Father. The Son honors and obeys the Father in everything always. I do always please the Father. Which of you convicts me of sin? Nobody took him up on it. The Apostle Paul affirms the doxology. Amen. Two words are pronounced exactly the same in every language. Amen and hallelujah. They're universal words. Both of those words. The word amen here at the end of the sentence simply means so be it. An affirmation of what he has just stated. If the word is put at the beginning, then it's translated as pay attention. What's going to be said is very important. It's translated verily, verily, truly, truly. Same word. The position of the sentence in the Greek changes the meaning. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord, the Bible says. Look to your own life depending how long you have walked with God. You alone know how faithful God has been to you in every way. Finances is no exception. His faithfulness. The faithfulness of God to supply all of your needs begins with your new birth. It happens automatically. Watch. Last weekend, you were out partying. You're drinking, smoking, getting loaded, smashing your car, getting out of jail. Now you're not this weekend. Which weekend you think you're going to be wealthier? You're ahead 20 to 30 to 40 percent, some of us. The first weekend we were born again just by becoming a Christian. Wow. Not to speak of no longer do we buy money and buy things with our money that just because we want to have the latest thing or an emotional buy. Yeah, I don't get it because I have the money. You, know? you think, do I really need it? Do I really? Lord, what do you think? You make your decisions differently, right? Priorities are different. Proverbs 28, 19 says, he who uh, tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. There is one who scatters, yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Proverbs eleven twenty-four. The favorance of God to supply our needs continues by our diligence to work and be benevolent. Listen to the scriptures, Proverbs eleven twenty five: 25. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Proverbs 13, 7. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will... Uh, running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Who do you think said that? Jesus. Matthew six thirty-eight. Now, do you think Jesus is encouraging you to give once so you can get 10? Of course he's not saying that. But he's telling you that it's true in many different ways because God knows your heart. The faithfulness of God is always radiated by his glory in all his deeds. Paul puts it this way, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, redemption, that as it's written, he who glories, let him glory in what? The Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 29-31. After Paul has declared that incredible truth of Romans once again in chapter 8, 30-36, he says this, Oh, the depth of the rich is both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and that He should be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow, the faithfulness of God towards the Philippians was true from the beginning. From the very beginning of their life in Christ. Amazing. So as Paul has continued to speak of finances, he reminded the Philippians about these three things. The commitment to Paul by the Philippians was out of uh, love. From the beginning. The motive of Paul for the Philippians was pure. From the beginning. And the faithfulness of God towards the Philippians was true. From the beginning. Man. We are wealthy beyond any means ladies and gentlemen. Lord we thank you for your goodness. Your love. We thank you for just your goodness towards us. And Lord, we pray you deal with our hearts as we serve you as we love you as we just are so grateful for your goodness and mercy towards us, Lord, your provisions, your care, your protection. And I pray for every person you would minister their heart, Lord, I lift them to you, those who are over the radio, those that are on the internet, Lord, you would speak to their hearts so there's someone who doesn't know you. as you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you don't know him, then God is here to tell you that you're a sinner in need of repentance. And that he died for your sins and rose from the dead to make that payment. And if you will call upon him, he will forgive you and save you and give to you eternal life. If this is your decision, this is your prayer of repentance, you can repeat right now. And he's going to save you right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.